Uh, Father, your, um, your word is amazing. Um, and your word reveals to us your son. And your son reveals to us who you really are. So, Lord, uh, prepare our hearts and minds to uh, understand and believe and celebrate who you are in a clearer way, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. So speaking of more, what would you like to have more of? What would you like to have more of? Ice cream. Ice cream? There's an honest man. Yeah, more ice cream, more uh, more toys, more more sunshine, uh, more free time, more friends. You can maybe ratchet it up, be a little more profound. Maybe uh, more joy, more peace, more contentment, more love, grandchildren. more grandchildren. <laughs> I'm detect. Yeah, In and Out Burger. Okay, from this point on, the questions are rhetorical. Okay. <laughs> hey, think about this one. How would you like to have more of God? More of God, okay? Because if you think about it, any good thing we want comes ultimately from Him and in some way reflects his goodness. James 1.17. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So wanting more joy, more peace, more contentment, more love, even more ice cream, there's a sense in which wanting more of these things means we're really wanting more of God. But how do you get more of God? Is that even possible? What would that look like? Well, let's take a look at our passage for this morning, because it answers that question. It answers that question. And we are working our way through the book of Ephesians. And today we come to chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote this, has just finished explaining how God has this amazing plan for the world and for our lives, how he is creating a new humanity, a new race, a new human race where people are connected to him and connected to one another through faith in Jesus Christ. And this goes beyond and overwhelms boundaries of nationality and ethnicity and language and tradition, religious heritage. God is creating this new humanity through faith in His Son. And as Paul just thinks about this incredible plan, he so much wants to see it fulfilled. He wants to see it happen. And so, in verse 14, he begins to pray. So, Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay, I want you to look at that last thing Paul prays for. The thing that his other requests lead up to. In other words, he says, I pray for this so that this will happen, so that this will happen, okay? What's that ultimate thing he's praying for? Last part of verse 19, look at it. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. What a request. I mean, think about what he is asking for. He is asking that our lives would be completely filled with God. That we would have more of God than we do right now. But what does that even mean? And how can you get more of God in your life if he's already in your life? I mean, doesn't the Bible teach that People are indwelt by God's Spirit when they become believers in Jesus, when they put their trust in Christ. If you're here today and you've said yes to Jesus Christ and put your hope and trust in Him, that God's Spirit has come to dwell within you, doesn't the Bible teach that? If you're here today and you haven't yet taken that step, I'm really glad you're here. And I'm praying that God will bring you to that place very soon, even today. But doesn't the Bible teach that? That people are indwelt by God's Spirit when they become believers in Christ? And the answer is yes, it does. Yes, it does. The same Apostle Paul who wrote Ephesians wrote these words to Christians in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Look at it. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So notice a couple things. Notice that the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ are the same person. It's not true the Bible never says Jesus is God. The Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ are the same. And it says that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Him. So, by definition, to be a Christian is to be someone who belongs to Christ and has the Spirit of Christ. And we can look at several other verses that that teach the exact same thing. That when you put your trust in Jesus, His Spirit, the Spirit of God, comes to dwell in you. And whether we really understand what all that means or not, it's not the point. That's what the Bible teaches. Okay. So, why then here... Does Paul, praying for Christians, 
ask in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in their hearts. And then why does he ask in verse 19 that they may be filled with all the fullness of God as if they aren't? Well, apparently, there's a difference between having God in your life and being filled, full of God. Here's a couple of ways to think about it that that might help. All right, first, think about it as a a matter of capacity. Imagine you're going to fill up a, a container, like a bucket, full of water. So you, you pour water in that till it gets up to the very top, and you think, okay, it's full. But then you realize that there are some big rocks in that bucket. So in one sense, it's full, but in another sense, it's not. Uh, you could put more in if the rocks were taken out. It's not full to its true capacity, and our lives are like that. Our lives are like that. If we've got stuff in our lives that shouldn't be there, you know, sins that we're cherishing or issues of disobedience that shouldn't be there, or or maybe even stuff that we're not even aware yet that, that God doesn't want there, contrary to his will for us, those things are like rocks in the bucket. And we're not experiencing all that God wants us to experience of his presence in our lives because these things are getting in the way. And so we're not filled to our true capacity. That's one way to think about it. Here's another way to think about it. Paul prays that Christ may dwell in our hearts, and he prays that even though if we're believers in Jesus, Christ already dwells in our hearts. So what's that all about? Well, there's, it's a different kind of dwelling. And you can get this if you think about the difference between someone dwelling as a guest and someone dwelling as an owner. So, imagine someone comes to stay in your home as a guest, and you want to be a very hospitable host, so you want to make them feel welcome. You may even say things like, hey, make yourself right at home here. Mi casa su casa, you know? My house is your house. Just make yourself right at home. And you know what? Even though you say it, you don't really mean it. (laughs) You don't really expect them to make your home their home. You don't. I mean, what if you came home one afternoon and found out that they had torn up all the carpet and replaced it with something that they liked better? Or they knocked a wall down. Or they changed all the fixtures in the bathroom. And you'd say, whoa, whoa, hold on here. What are you doing? I said, well, you said your house was my house. So this is how I want my house to look. And you'd say, no, that is not what I meant. This is my house. Okay. So if you're a Christian and Jesus is in your life, are you treating them like a guest? Or are you treating them like the owner? Because that title, Lord, means he's the master of the house. It's his house. Jesus doesn't come into our lives to dwell as a guest. He comes to take over. And because he loves us, 
he's going to remodel. And anytime he finds dry rot or mold or garbage tucked and hidden away in some closet we hoped he wouldn't find, when he finds it, he's going to get rid of it however long it takes. See, that's what Paul is praying for. Paul is praying that by the work of God's Spirit in our inner being, down at the roots of of who we are, that by Christ dwelling in our hearts as the master of the house, that we would begin to experience what it means that our home really is, our, our life really is his home. And we need to experience more and more. That's what he's praying for. That's what he's praying for. I remember a song that I, I learned years ago when I was working uh, at a VBS, a vacation Bible school, and it was called I Want More of Jesus. And the lyrics go like this. I want more of Jesus more and more and more. I want more of Jesus than I ever had before. I want more of his great love, or I want more of his great love, so rich and full and free. I want more of Jesus, so I'll give him more of me. And that's really a great summary of this prayer. That this prayer is all about asking God to be so at work in our lives that he will enable us to experience more and more. He will enable us to give us more and more of ourselves so that we can experience more and more of him and his great love so rich and full and free. So, let's take a closer look at the specifics of this prayer. Let's see what has to happen. Let's see what has to happen for us to experience more of his great love. What has to happen for us to experience more of God in our lives? How do we experience more of God? Okay, first, we have to want it enough to seek it. To experience more of God, we have to want more of God, and we have to want that enough to seek it. John Stott, great pastor, great Bible teacher, passed away not long ago, and he he said this. He said, you can tell what a person's priorities are by listening to them pray. Listen to what they pray for, because prayer expresses desire. We pray for what we want. So it's obvious that Paul wants his readers to experience more of God, because that's what he's praying for. And I think it's very significant that he's praying on his knees. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. You need to know that the the common posture for prayer in Paul's day was standing up. You stood up to pray. Kneeling in prayer was, was a sign of unusual passion and fervency. So this is something Paul really, really wants. And that makes sense. Because that fits with what we know of Paul. That he had that same desire for himself. 
Look at what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Look at these words. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ. Wait. He already knows Christ, doesn't he? Yes, he does. But he wants to know him more. He wants to know him more. He wants to know him fully. He wants to be filled with his fullness. And so that just, I mean, that, that presents us with a question. Do we want that? Do we want that? I've discovered that it is really easy to want God's gifts more than to want God Himself. John chapter 6, there's an incident. Jesus miraculously feeds thousands and thousands of people with just a few loaves and a couple of fish. And the next day, this huge crowd shows up to see Jesus. And take a look at the conversation Jesus has with them. Jesus replied, the truth is, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you saw the miraculous sign. In other words, you guys just want more food. You're not really getting what that whole thing meant. But you shouldn't be so concerned about perishable things like food, Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has sent me for that very purpose. They replied, what does God want us to do? Jesus told them, this is what God wants you to do. Believe in the one he has sent. They replied, well, you must show us a miraculous sign. If you want us to believe in you, what will you do for us? Boy, do these people have short memories. (laughs) What just happened yesterday? After all, they say, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness, and manna was a daily thing. As the scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I assure you, Moses didn't give them bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread every day of our lives. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life no one who comes to me will ever be hungry again those who believe in me will never thirst so they're saying you know we liked that bread thing jesus we really like your bread hey give us more bread we're into that and jesus is saying you know what you really need is not more bread you need me You need me. I am the bread you need every day to be fully satisfied. It is so easy to want his gifts more than we want him. But think about it. His gifts are only good because he's good. He's the reason those gifts are good. 
We need to ask God to help us to want more of Him. Not just more of His gifts. We have to want His fullness. We've got to pursue it. We have to pray for it. We have to seek it. We've got to keep asking God for it. You want it? Go after it. Second, to experience more of God, we not only need to to want it enough to seek it, we need to trust His promises. We need to trust His promises. We talk a lot about trusting God, trusting His promises. I want you to see the connection here between trusting God and experiencing more of God. Verse 17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through faith. Faith means trusting what God has said. What he has promised. Now here's how it works. Here's the connection. The rest of this prayer talks all about love. And experiencing love. It talks about being rooted and grounded in love. It talks about comprehending what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know, that is to experience the love of Christ. And it's that experience of Christ's love that leads us to being filled with the fullness of God. Okay, so the more we experience of Christ's love in our lives, the more we experience the fullness of God in our lives. Okay, but we only experience more of His love when we trust what He has told us. Look carefully at Jesus' words in John chapter 15. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this, so my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Now, doesn't that sound like being filled with the fullness of God? Christ's joy in us and that joy being made complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Okay, so follow this. Follow this. How do we know Jesus loves us? How do we first come to experience the love of Christ? We know it because he told us and we believe him. For God so loved the world, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We hear it, we believe it, and we begin to experience the love of Christ in our lives. That's how it happens. We trust him. All right. Then, here it says the way that we abide or the way that we remain or the way that we keep on experiencing his love is by trusting Him enough to obey Him. Did you see that connection? And His command is what? To love others as He has loved us. So, do you see how knowing and understanding and experiencing His love is all intertwined with trusting Him and loving the way He loves? We need to trust Him more and more, and we need to love others more and more to experience His love more and more. And that's what brings us to being filled with more and more of His fullness. 
Okay, now if that sounds complicated, let me say it another way. The fact is, if we don't trust Jesus' promises, we will not love very much. And if we don't love very much, we will not experience more of the fullness of God. We won't experience very much of his love flowing through us. Why? Because loving the way Jesus loves involves taking risks. And it's trusting his promises that enable us. That's what enables us to take the risks. Okay, here's worst case scenario. Jesus commands us to love our enemies. How in the world am I going to do that? How in the world am I going to show love? How in the world am I going to genuinely do good to people who hate me, who mistreat me, when the natural thing is to hate them back? How am I going to do that? By believing the promises Jesus has made. That's how. Like this one, Matthew 5.11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. That just had to sound so weird to the first people who heard that. Because blessed means happy. Happy are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. So I can love my enemies because Jesus has promised to make it worth it. It's by trusting him. If I believe him, I can take the risk. If I don't believe him, I won't take the risk. But it's only by believing him and taking the risk and loving that I experience more of his love flowing through me. And the more I experience his love, the more I experience his fullness. So I've got to want it. I've got to want His fullness enough to seek it. And I've got to trust His promises. And one more. We need to connect to His people. We need to connect to His people. And this follows right on what I was just talking about, about loving others, loving one another. We need to connect to His people. And some of you are going to hear this. And you're going to think, oh, brother, Pastor Scott, you talk about this all the time. You're always telling us that we need deeper connections with other Christians, with other believers, with our church family. So you're always saying things like, get in a group. Get in a group. Build stronger relationships. Invest yourself in building friendships with other believers. Genuinely share your lives with one another. You're always saying it over and over and over again. And if you're thinking that, I'm so glad you're paying attention. (laughs) But it's not my fault. It's not my fault. The reason I keep saying it is because the Bible keeps teaching it. It says it over and over and over again. That's my old job is just to tell you what it keeps saying over and over again. Look at it here. Look at that phrase in verse 18. Notice that you may comprehend with all the saints. Saints meaning 
believers in Christ. Okay, those words aren't just filler. This is not a paper Paul had to write for school, and it had to be long enough, so he's padding it with some words. Oh, I could just throw in together with all the saints. That'll, that'll give me a few more. No. No, here it is. The fact is that it is together with, with, with the saints that we comprehend. That is, that we learn how great the love of Jesus really is. It is in relationship with other believers, in meaningful relationship with other believers, that we begin to comprehend, to learn how great the love of Christ really is. Think about it. Love, by definition, is relational. It's relational. You can't learn what love is by yourself. You cannot. You have to be in relationship to really know what it means to give yourself for the best interests of another person. You have to be in relationship in order to experience somebody doing that for you. If we don't experience it, the love of Christ is just words. It's just words. If we don't love, we will not be filled with more of God's fullness. On the other hand, the more that we do love, the more of his fullness we experience. I promise, I am not making this up. Okay? Well, it just sounds like a convenient way to try to promote your programs and get more people involved in groups. I'm not making this up. Look at first... 1 John 4.12. Okay, this is a different apostle. This isn't Paul. This is John. And he says in 1 John 4.12, look at this carefully. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, doesn't complete sound like full? Doesn't that sound an awful lot like being full? So if we want God's love to be complete, if we want God's love to be full in us, what do we have to do? We have to love one another. See, it's really important to see that this this lofty goal of this prayer, okay, to be filled with all the fullness of God, Wow, that is huge. That is so lofty. That is so amazing. It's really important to see that to get there, you don't go off by yourself to some mountain peak and meditate by yourself. You can't know the fullness of God that way. You will not find the fullness of God by turning inward. It doesn't happen. The fullness of God is something that we have to want and something we have to pursue together. Together, we experience the fullness of God. Individually, it's not happening. Now, does this sound impossible? I mean, be honest. Does it sound impossible to experience all the fullness of God 
by trusting his promises, by, by really loving and being connected to one another? Sure it does. And that's why Paul is praying for it. You notice know, he doesn't just say, hey, I've got something great. I've got a great lofty goal for you. Being filled with all the fullness of God. So just go make that happen. He doesn't do that. He prays for it. Because we can't get there by relying on ourselves. We can't get there by just our schemes and tricks and, and techniques. We have to actually rely on God for this. Here's the thing. God wants us to have this. You know, sometimes you pray and you wonder, I wonder if this is really God's will that I'm praying for. I mean, I'm asking God for it, but I don't really know if he wants me to have this or not. You never have to wonder about this. God wants us to know his fullness. And he is willing and able to do it. Notice again how the prayer ends. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think. According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Sounds to me, sounds to me like we can have all of God that we really want. Let's pray together. Father, uh, this is amazing that you want us to be filled with all your fullness. I would think you'd take one look at at us and say, I'm done. I don't want anything more to do with those people. And I don't just mean us here at Philae. I mean the whole world. Why would you want us to be filled with all your fullness? But Lord, that is your design that is your plan and you have sent your son to die and rise from the dead and to come into our lives by your spirit so that we can experience this lord what can we say make it happen give us the heart to pursue this give us the faith to rely on you and help us follow through and love that we might experience this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.